The Spirit of the Lord, of the Sovereign Lord, is upon us. Because the Lord has anointed us to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent us to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God and the, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. That is Psalm uh, Isaiah 61. We have a tremendous responsibility in this our time. We are here as we celebrate the life and legacy and the promise and our responsibility in Martin Luther King Jr. Embodied in his fight for freedom, justice, and equality for the marginalized and those here in the U.S. and around the world, he was an agent of change. And that is also our responsibility. We are agents of change in this, our world, where there are things like slavery still present, or there's sex trafficking, or drugs that is still prevalent. Just uh, within the last few days, they've been talking about the prevalence of heroin and, and, um, and some of its permutations, which is absolutely deadly. There's injustice. There's, if you listen to what's happening in places um, around the world, there's also genocide, genocide all around our world today. We look at what Martin Luther King faced then, and most recently in the last few weeks, we sort of were witness to the passing of a great uh, icon, uh, one of the greatest leaders of our last century, which is um, Nelson, Nelson Mandela. Fighting apartheid in South Africa, and he became a leader to the entire world in, in, in terms of uh, freedom and justice. Here's a man who was tortured and placed in prison for 27, pick up on this, 27 years. What faith. I think he, as Martin Luther King, as he faced Jim Crow laws, and as we face what we face today, Mandela embodied, I guess, that notion that faith is the substance of things hoped for. Think about it. In prison, the evidence of things not seen. We here, this is our time, our role to be agents of change. And this, in a needy world, in a people that need every single one of us. We're here this morning to hear from um, somebody that's a, I don't, I, I don't even want to call him a friend because we go a little further than that. In, 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 in my vernacular, I would call him a partner, P-A-D-N-U-H, instead of partner. <laughs> but he's a friend. He's a brother. He, he uh, went out to, um, to Howard and got an MDiv there, and a D-man at International Bible College Seminary. He's been 
Um, he's, he's been pastor uh, over in Washington, D.C., a community of hope. He's been at, at the Nazarene um, head, headquarters and compassionate ministry and um, a, a director of black minis, minis, ministries. Uh, but he's been a supporter of, um, of churches and ministries, not only here in the U.S., but around the world that serve the marginalized. He's currently the pastor of Lake Como Connections in Orlando, Florida. If you notice, he's wearing a short sleeve shirt, and I'm surprised he's not wearing a sandals this morning. He comes from Orlando, Florida, a place that we wish we could be right now. <laughs> but let's, as, as, as our brother comes and, and shares with us, let's open our hearts and minds to what the Lord has in store for us. And uh, let's, let's bring up Dr. Oliver Phillips. He said we, we are friends. I thought, what the heck? <laughs> I might as well go ahead and tell you the dream I had. But I, I dreamt I died. And I was on my way to heaven. And it seems as though the more I walked, the further heaven was. And I kept walking. And my energies began to be depleted and I kept on walking and my steps began to get slower. And I knew that eventually I'll get to heaven. But I was so glad that on the way to heaven, I saw Robert. And Robert said, where are you going? I said, man, I'm, I'm trying to make it. And Robert said, well, I'm on my way there too. Why don't you just get on my back? And I'll, I'll take you because I'm on my way to heaven. And I was so glad that Benji put me on his back. And after a while, we got to heaven together. And Peter looked and Peter says, Phillips, where you been? I said, well, I didn't realize heaven was so far. <laughs> and I, I kept on walking and walking. And I'm so glad. And Peter says, Phillips, we've been waiting for you. We're so glad you're here. And Peter looked at Peter says, you can come in, but you got to leave your jackass outside. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to say, no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's not, that's not my donkey, that's Robbie. 
<laughs> so both of us <laughs> so both of us were able to get in they, they tell us that dreams are a product of our environment they tell us that when we dream it is because of something that was going on in our life and because of the things that are going on in our lives, we, we get in bed and we begin to roll around and some of these things kind of come out. And I believe that Dr. Martin Luther King, we know him because of what he said on that day in 1963. I have a dream. And I believe that Dr. King said I have a dream because there were some things that were happening around that caused Dr. King to be restless. There were some things that were going on around that caused Dr. King to be respond to that which was going on and to finally dream. He became restless. Very early in Dr. King's speeches, he began to talk about two terms that I, I have come to love. And he began to talk about interposition and nullification. And those two expressions were a part of who Dr. King was. And I believe that as Dr. King dreamed, that he had to respond to that expression of interposition and nullification you see because some of you are not old enough to understand that in 1896 maybe some of you were around but it was 1896 that the supreme court in a decision 71 plessy versus ferguson that said that we can be separate but we will be equal one of the worst pieces of legislation that ever came out of the Supreme Court was Plessy versus Ferguson. And this whole idea of separate but equal became the law of the land. Until 1954, Brown versus Board of Education. When Brown versus Board of Education, not the same Supreme Court, but another Supreme Court, said that no longer is separate but equal the law of the land, but now it's desegregation. But there are a lot of states that decided since the law of the land is desegregation, what we will do is we will come about, and, and some of the states are Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, South Carolina, Virginia, who all said no matter what the law, the federal law is, we believe in interposition and nullification in the sense that we don't have to obey the federal law. And that bothered Dr. King. That it bothered Dr. King because he believed in justice and he believed that in this country, there ought to be a way that people live out the beliefs of the Constitution that all men are created equal. It is in that, in 1963, that 10.22 in the morning, 
that some young ladies were on their way to worship God and the preacher was about to preach that Sunday on the, t on the sermon, The Love That Forgives. But yet it was on that morning that four little black girls died. A bomb went off and four black girls died. Addie Mae Collins was 14, Denise McNair was 11, Carol Robinson was 14, Cynthia Wesley was 14, and they were all killed and 22 more were injured. It is, this, it is within this environment that Dr. King had to dream. Dreams are a product of what is going on around us. Dr. King, born in 1929, graduated with a bachelor's degree when he was 19. I wish I had a piece of that brain. Went on three years later to get his Bachelor of Divinity degree from Crozer Theological Seminary. And then a few years after, went on to get his PhD. But there was something that was going on around that caused Dr. Martin Luther King to dream. And it's on that day in August 28th that more than 300,000 people gathered on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. And Dr. King began a litany of things that he believed that America had defaulted on. And it is while he was in the midst of his speech that this black woman, this black singer in the back shouted out, Mahela Jackson was her name, and she shouted out, tell them about the dream, Martin. Tell them about the dream. Tell him about the dream, Martin, and it is then that Dr. King put aside his speech, put aside his manuscript, and then began to talk about the dream. He, he dreams that one day in this America, black boys and black girls and black students and white students will be able to sit in a sanctuary just like this. All understanding and all understanding that they are judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And over the years, I have wanted to embrace the dream of Dr. Martin Luther King. But I am afraid that what Dr. King said in an NBC interview three years after this speech has come true. And what Dr. King said is, I am afraid that my dream has become a nightmare. I don't know about you, but as I look around, uh, I am scared sometimes to even look at the news because I believe and I hope that I would live long enough to change that fundamental belief that I have. I believe that Dr. King's dream has become a nightmare. And I want to believe that the time will come in these United States when there will be justice and their justice will be meted out. I want to believe that. I want to believe that the time will come when people will not be riled up over the fact that we have a black president. I hope that time will come. I don't believe that in my lifetime I have seen the type of hatred and animosity in this country over the fact that we have a black president. And I thought that when 
the black president was elected, I thought we will be able to say we have overcome. But I've learned that there is a certain segment, not here, but there is a certain segment of our society who believe that slaves must build the White House, but slaves, nobody from that same slave population or the descendants of that population must ever inhabit or live in the White House. Something is wrong with America when I think we are living a nightmare rather than a dream. Read the Orlando Sentinel that I read all the time and I say, man, we're living a nightmare. Listen to the local news. We're living a nightmare. Turn on the Fox News. We are living a nightmare. And I have almost reached to the place where I have to echo what Daryl Cumberdan said. Don't pee on me and tell me it's raining. Don't spit in my face and tell me it's raining. Something is wrong. In this country, let me just mention to you some things that make me believe that we are living a nightmare and we are not living a dream. The 70% birth rate of children is, is to unwed mothers. We live in a nightmare. The unemployment rate among black males is near 30%. We live in a nightmare. Black on black violence has become the leading cause of death among black teenagers. That's not a dream. That's a nightmare. The dropout rate in middle school and high school students becomes unacceptable, and that's also a nightmare. The, the tendency on, 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 on the part of too many black families is we got to freak out, flip out, or fall out. That's a nightmare. There is no way that that characterizes the dream that Martin Luther King talked about. Poverty is unacceptable. I, I, I'm 69 years old. And I never thought that the time would come when I would realize that I'm a paycheck away from poverty. One paycheck. And those of you who are here, you are going to get into the employment lines and you will get a job and hopefully... And you will graduate from school in four years, hopefully. But that does not guarantee you the fact that you will be immune from poverty. That's a stark reality in these United States. And that's a nightmare rather than a dream. The thing about a dream is that somebody always has to interpret the dream for you. And as we interpret the dream of Dr. Martin Luther King, I find that it's a nightmare. It's not a dream. In Detroit, more than a third of the residents live below the official poverty line. Is that a dream? Is that the fulfillment of a dream? In New Orleans, two-thirds of the African-American kids are under, under the age of five live in poverty. That's not a dream. But I have come to bother you brothers and sisters, to say that you have the ability to transform a nightmare into a vision. I have come so that I might beg of you, you, you young, 
wish if I were the creator, um, God has done some things that I totally disagree with. Yet some things. And I, if I had to create this world, I, I think what I would say is that I believe that we ought to reach the place where I could look at any young person and say, could you sell me 10 years of your life? I really think so. At 69, I would like to buy 10. Some of you are what? 19? Sure you can sell me 10 of your years. What do you care? I wish, I, I wish that that's the economy that we lived in, that, that, that we, can, we can buy some years. Because I tell you, I want to see the dream fulfilled. I want to I live long enough to see that it's all right to be black. I want to see the time come when, when it is unacceptable to be poor. I want to see the time come in my lifetime when everybody frowns on poverty. When everybody frowns on the fact that somebody graduates from college and they owe $100,000. I, 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 I wish that that time will come when that is unacceptable. I am asking you young people to embrace a vision. Dreams have become nightmares. I want to ask you to do something with your life and the most, the most responsible thing you can do as young people is to transform the nightmare that has become a part of our society and embrace a vision. Because that's what Dr. Martin Luther King, listen to him. Dr. Martin Luther King said, when the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men and women, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious that today Dr. Martin Luther King said that America has defaulted on that promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring the sacred obligation, America has become the, given the Negro people a bad check. A check which has come back marked insufficient funds. Just in case you think that what you have heard this morning is just the rantings and the ravings of a crazy black man. Let me just say that my anger, my disdain is grounded in scripture. Listen to the Old Testament. Listen to Jeremiah. I, somebody, make sure you put your hand up when I have five more minutes. Make sure you tell me. I don't have a clock. I, the Lord, command you to do what is just and right. Protect, says the Lord. Protect the person who is being cheated from the one who is cheating him. Do not ill-treat or oppress the foreigners, orphans or widows, and do not kill innocent people in the holy place. Listen to the word of God. Micah, no. The Lord has told you what is good. What he requires of us is this. To do what is just, to show constant love, and to live in humble fellowship with our God. 
that passage that was read earlier called the liberation passage, passage, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, he has chosen me, he has sent me to visit those that are in prison. That's what the Bible says for us. In closing, let me just give a warning to you young people. And there are four things I must say. First of all, as you, as you face this world, do not fall to the, 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 the temptation of extreme optimism. In, in the sense that do not, do not get to the place where you believe that it's all right. These are the greatest days that we will ever live in. These, we have arrived. Don't fall to that temptation. Secondly, don't fall to the temptation of extreme pessimism where you believe that these are the worst of times. And thirdly, don't fall to the temptation of corrosive cynicism which I see so prevalent in our society where individuals believe nothing that I do can make a difference. So I don't want to get involved in politics. I don't want to get involved in community affairs. I don't want to get... So we, are, we, we so hate everything that's going on so that we withdraw. And fourthly, that we should never get to the place as young people where we believe in what some writers call... Some writers have, have referred to this as cognitive dissonance where we are in the midst of something wrong but we don't even know what's going on. And we, and we tend to disbelieve the very fact that the fragments have fallen apart in the world in which we live. I beg of you as young people on this day to embrace a new vision. Embrace a vision that's deeply rooted in the American dream. Embrace a vision that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I beg of you young people to embrace a vision that our little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin. Embrace that vision. Let me give you a poem that I've learned to love because the worst thing that in our lifetime that has happened to these United States was 9-11. And this country could have fallen apart. But boy, if there ever were a time when citizens in this country came together, in spite of being attacked from the outside or on, on the inside, this country came together. This country did not fall apart. And Dr. Cheryl Sawyer wrote a poem that I think is very fitting for me to leave with you today. She said, as the soot and dirt and ash rained down, we became one color. As we carried each other down the stairs of the burning building, we became one class. As we lit candles and waiting and hope, we became one generation. As the firefighters and the police officers fought their way into the inferno, we became one gender. As we fell to our knees in prayer for strength, we became one face. As we whispered or shouted words of encouragement, we spoke one language. 
As we gave our blood in lines a line long, we became one body. As we mourned together the great loss of these United States, we became one family. As we cried tears of grief and loss, we became one soul. And as we retell with pride of the sacrifice of our heroes, we became one people. Brothers and sisters, we are one color. We are one class. We are one generation. We are one gender. We are one faith. We are one language. We are one body. We are one family. We are one soul. We are one people. And that is why it's incumbent upon all of us on this, the birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King, to transform our world and to embrace the challenge that nightmares are unacceptable and we will embrace a vision of a new world order. It's in your hands, Dr. Um, I, Mother Theresa, one day, was in a crowd and there was a little brat who came up to Mother Theresa and he had a bird in his hand and he looked at Mother Theresa and he says, I'm going to get her. And he had this bird in his hand and he says, I'm going to Mother Theresa and I'm going to ask her whether this bird is dead or alive and he said if she says it's dead I'm going to open my hands and the bird is alive if she says it's alive I'm going to crush it <laughs> and he goes up and he says Mother Teresa Mother Teresa Mother Teresa is this bird dead or alive and Mother Theresa prayerfully looked at that young boy and said, Son, whether that bird is dead or alive, it's in your hands. That's what I say to you, young people. The world is in your hands. Make it a better place than we made it. We made a mess of it. It's in your hands. Make it a better place. God bless. Sometimes you don't know what to say at the end of a chapel like this. But you know what the challenge is. We're going to have um, Lambert Brandis who's going to play the, what we would call the anthem of the movement, which is lift every voice and sing as we leave. So think about what your role might be, what the Lord is calling you to do. Go in God's grace and in his peace. Make a difference. God bless you all.